The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make it somebody. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put this kind of day in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If there were 11 million people out there searching for jobs you know that wages would be going lower. But how about if there are 11 million jobs looking for workers? Then not only are wages headed higher, so are interest rates. That's what we learned from today's employment report, and it convinced a lot of money managers that the Fed will have to move quickly to stamp out inflation before it really gets out of control. Now, if rates are headed higher, that means the stock market is probably headed lower. That's a pretty good axiom. So the good news that jobs are plentiful, we've got just 3.9% unemployment, is greater with the yuan on Wall Street. So the Dow dipped five points. S&P declined 0.41%. Then the Nasdaq really laid an egg. It lost another 0.96%. Man, is it bad Nasdaq land. Look, I've been saying since November when the Fed started tightening, the conceptual companies with expensive stocks get hammered. You know, the ones that don't really have any earnings, they sell in sales. And the tangible companies with real earnings start going higher, especially ones that are cheap. When we look at the price to earnings multiple on those earnings, okay, that's what matters. Bond yields jumped again, and those rising long-term interest rates spread to mortgage markets, causing the housing stocks to roll over hideously today. doesn't matter that mortgage rates are still at just 3.5%, which is an absurdly low number historically. Higher rates are good news for the banks, though, so their stocks have what I call an exaggerated move higher. Meanwhile, the specter of Omicron threatened to overwhelm our entire healthcare system, and it's something that you and I must be worried about, whether we've had Omicron or not. But that is a good place to start our game plan for next week. Because when I look at Monday, all I can think of are the hundreds of thousands of people who will get sick this weekend in our great country, many of whom won't even know it and will silently pass it on to others. 
Some money managers will be buying the stocks that do best in a Fed-mandated slowdown. Something that seems more likely after today's employment figures. While others are going to search for bridge stocks that can bounce once Omicron burns through the whole population because it's spreading so fast. And there they're thinking about airlines, travel, and leisure plays. Everyone contracting Omicron in some sort of mass herd immunity is the worst way to beat this pandemic. But this thing is moving so fast that well, you can practically see it peaking on the horizon. Hence why people are starting to think about stocks involving travel and leisure. Monday sees the beginning of the most influential analyst meeting of the year, and that's called the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, something that's being held virtually, or we would have headed to San Francisco to see it in person. Fortunately, we have the host of the conference, Lisa Gill, one of a handful of analysts that I am willing to put on the show to tell us what presentations are most likely going to move stocks, because make no mistake, this conference sends stocks flying like no other. Only one company of consequence reports some money, and that's a company called Tilray. That's a pot stock. That's a reminder of how devastating these have been to your portfolio. Forget gateway drugs. These are gateways to capital destruction. The $6 stock once ticked at 300 bucks. although that was during a short squeeze. Since that moment in 2018, it's been all downhill for Tilray. Let's see if the redoubtable CEO, Erwin Simon, can alter that direction. When Albertsons wallowed in the teens last year, I came out here and I said the grocery chain deserved to trade much higher. Well, sure enough, after a couple of good quarters, buyers chewed through a lot of stock and it quietly doubled. Now, Albertsons has pulled back a bit from its highs, but I think it has a lot more room to run. Might be worth picking some up Monday ahead of its Tuesday report. Also on Tuesday, oh, this is a good one. Dell's presenting at an industry conference. And we're going to hear Michael Dell, straight shooter, talk about his company's prospects now that it's fully spun off VMware. I buy some before the meeting and buy some more after. Well, we'll talk to the CEO, too. But what really matters with Michael Dell is that he has made you money for decades now. And he's also an incredibly generous, charitable man. On Wednesday night, we're going to get some insight into the housing situation when KB Home reports. Now, if you're worried about the impact of higher interest rates on the home builders, you might be surprised to see the stock going higher after the quarter. I think it will be a very strong number, even though KB isn't a best-of-breed operator like Toll Brothers or Lennar. And that's because I think that interest rates will not go up every single day. Lots of people keep speculating on when travel and leisure will bottom, as I mentioned at the top, because they want to reach over the gulf of COVID to see what it looks like on the other side. You always see that with Marriott buying. Happens constantly with the cruise ships. We, we get to hear from Delta Air on Thursday, and that's the prism we need to use. Not how Delta's doing now. It's not doing that well, but how it could be doing once we get over Omicron. And by the way, once we have international flights. Do they think business travelers will come back? Can they staff their planes sufficiently? Are fares going higher? Well, I like Disney for my Travel Trust and think that American Express can keep running, I'm skeptical about how, about how far Delta stock can go in this environment. Friday is when earnings season officially begins, and we could have some real fireworks in our hands, which is what happens when you get gigantic runs in stocks that don't necessarily have all that much good to say. Take Wells Fargo. Now, we've got a huge position in this one for our Travel Trust, uh, which you can follow by joining the CBC Investing Club. I urge you to do that. It's a lot of fun. We do a lot of good stuff. Now, I think 2022 could be a much better year for Wells Fargo than any year since 2017. It's not clear to me that the stock can keep rallying, given that it's already jumped 14% in the past week to 52-week high, like so many others. But I think if it pulls back, we're going to just keep telling you to buy it. You've got to stay tuned to your club bulletins. Then we get to hear from BlackRock, which is surprised endlessly to the high side. You'll get a great analysis of the world, not just the bank, not just his business from CEO Larry Fink. When he explains how well his company's performed in the last quarter of the year, I know I, I make it sound like there's no guesswork here. But historically, 
There really hasn't been. This is just a sensational company led, led by a sensational CEO. Then there's Citigroup. Is, there, is this a new and improved city? You wouldn't know it from the stock, which has lagged helplessly during one of the great banking rallies I've ever seen. Uh, can CEO Jane Frazier tell a tale that makes the stock catch up? Honestly, I just want to understand how the company isn't allowed to buy back stock every share it can want to because the stock's so cheap versus what's known as its tangible book value. City said it had to pause the buyback in a speech in December because of an arcane regulation. I want to know more about that. Capricious government or wayward bank? We need to know. Finally, let's end with a bank. J.P. Morgan. Jamie Dimon. Jamie will tell us what the heck is going on in the banking and, and, and in business in both domestically and around the world. I love his commentary because I get to crib from it for months on end. That's how good it is. Jamie, who's one of those execs that everyone calls by their first names, tends to be very optimistic. But he also mixes in a few Molotovs along with his otherwise easy to down economic cocktails. It, it's a bit of an odd time right now, almost as, me, as if many stocks have to take their medicine and then get back on track. This week, we saw the unprofitable techs get a drubbing, which then spread into the more mature, profitable ones. And at, at the close today, well, it made me feel like that the despair is beginning to hit that nasty level that often signifies a bottom. In the meantime, the industrials and the banks were red hot. At this point, it might actually be worth it to circle back to the techs that aren't too expensive as the biggest industrials finished the week with declines. That was a signal that maybe they've peaked. Uh, it's a bad rotation. I will help you with that later in the show. Will the buyers ever return to the profitless SPACs and IPOs that were pumped out willy-nilly by greedy banker, bankers and their venture capitalist compadres? The bottom line, maybe that'll happen one day. But it's a heck of a lot easier to buy the stock of an established company that's actually making money. Yep, earnings are what matters again. Tangible gap earnings. Who'd have thunk it? Let's go to Omar in New York. Omar. Hey, Jim. Happy New Year. Same to you, Omar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was interested in Gap, uh, ticker GPS. Incredibly iconic, but they've been struggling as of late. And uh, I saw that Kanye, uh, Kanye West released uh, part of a contract, um, assuming that Balenciaga may be involved in some sort of collaborations. They're down tremendously from the 52-week highs, but I'm wondering, is now the time to go long? You know, we had Gap on, and uh, there's so many really incredible apparel stocks. Like, look, look, I'll give you a great example. This is what you need to know. Um, the Chapel Trust owns American Eagle Outfitters. It's been a very bad stock, though. All right, I always play with an open hand. But it's got a 3% yield. It's got really good management, and it just bought this great infrastructure. Um, and yet it's horrendous. The stock is just awful. How can I not recommend that stock over Gap, whose business isn't that good? So here you have a business in American Eagle that is just fantastic, and the stock is a nightmare. I'd rather be in that than a business, a stock who the business is a nightmare, too. Let's go to Julie in Minnesota, please, Julie. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I'm one of your investment club members and want to thank you for all your wonderful, wonderful advice you give us. You're very kind. Thank you. Um, I am presenting a stock next week to my all-women stock club. Shout out to my dream big investment club ladies. Um, I was going to talk about Beauty Health Company. I saw you as the CEO on your show last June. I bought some in July. I held on to it, grew to almost $30 a share in November. And now I think it's hovering around 23. What's your take on the future of SKIN? Oh, wow. Beauty Health, 
That's that's Ben Saunders. I think it's terrific. Uh, remember, we also recommended Bausch Health. They have a dermatology business that is, I think, should merge with Beauty Health. I don't think that can happen because of the way that the Bausch is splitting it up. But I would bank with Brent Saunders here. Beauty Health has a fabulous business model, and it is one of those companies that, boy, when we open up from Omicron, it is going to be incredibly strong. I like that stock. The symbol's easy. S-K-I-N. Look, it's all about buying the stock of an established company that's making money. Maybe even gives you a dividend. Earnings are what matter once again. On Man Money Tonight, you can take one look at my mentions column on Twitter and just see how toxic the social media site can be. I have to be one of the top ten most hated people on Twitter. And I'm Jimmy Chill. What can I say? I'm going to lay out my plan that I think could fix the company for the future. Then, as I've been telling club members, thank you to that very nice uh, lady who said good things about the club. This is the year of companies with real earnings. So I'm revealing a list of real tech stocks that you, you should keep on your radar. And next week, JP Morgan is set to hold its annual healthcare conference. I'm getting a preview from this incredibly important market-moving confab with Lisa Gill, the JP Morgan analyst who runs it. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. You know what's the most undervalued brand in America? I think it's Twitter. Yet the stock just hit a new low yesterday at $38 and change, down significantly from where it was eight years ago, just months after its November 2013 IPO. But before just by one of, the, one of the absolute greatest tech rallies in history, of which it has sat out. How could there be something so ubiquitous, so ingrained, so important as Twitter, but its stock hasn't created any wealth for shareholders unless they were pressured enough to sell it during one of its occasional spikes? 
Regular viewers know I've got a ton of Twitter followers, 1.78 million. More followers, more problems. I'm on the site a great deal. Usually around 3.40 a.m. I, co- I really get cooking. And, and until a year ago, I used to argue endlessly with people, some of whom were called trolls. And that's when my daughter told me it's time for Jimmy to chill. She since was she since she was the original one who taught me how to tweet. And that was in 2009 when we used to just post pictures of cats. I went all in and became Jimmy Chill. Even with my new low conflict attitude, though, Twitter is broken. Management might say otherwise. And by the way, I happen to like the management people very much. But one look at that stock tells you all you need to know. So tonight, tonight I'm going to be munificent, beneficent, like I was for uh, GameStop the other night. I'll go off for a plan to fix Twitter. Here we go. First, the new CEO, who is named Pureg Agrawal, and I've not met him yet, has been given a rare opportunity. This is now the check doors he's left. He can hit the reset button. I think he needs to make one monumental change. He needs to create two Twitters. The current ad-supported Twitter that's equal parts social network and blood sport arena and a new curated Twitter with actual moderation that maybe costs a nominal amount to subscribe. Let's call it Twitter Plus. I know a lot of people in the media want to ban anonymous accounts. And personally, I think it would dramatically improve the experience. But most accounts are anonymous. So that's tough to justify from a business perspective. The problem is you've got millions of trolls who make Twitter totally unpalatable for all but the true masochists. So I say let's create two Twitters. You want the nasty Twitter? You can have it. But if you want a civil platform where you can actually talk to people, they should have a separate non-anonymous, possibly subscription-based site that keeps the trolls out. It costs money to hire real humans to moderate a massive social media site like Twitter. But I think a lot of people would be willing to pay something to make that happen. That way, Twitter could gain daily average users, not lose them, and get a terrific subscription revenue stream without losing any of the people who like the current Verdun version. You want your Twitter to be the place of conversation where you can say something to someone on the street whom you'd otherwise never encounter. But as long as the platform is dominated by anonymous posters, they're going to say things that they'd never say in person. Some of the vilest stuff imaginable. And that's why I think we need a separate Twitter for people who don't want to deal with that anymore. If Twitter had two tracks, one that insisted on real names and one that essentially is is what they have now, then someone who posts the kind of garbage that I'm inundated with daily would be sent to the free but vicious gulag immediately. If you don't want to use your real name and give your real email and phone number to Twitter, that's fine. You can post on the other site. You just can't post on the paid site. You can read the paid site. Everything else aside, that would be a real blessing for my mentions column, which I used to care about tremendously. Once before that was before they started showing me in various Elizabeth uh, dog hat. Let's leave it unsaid. Second, once they've created a kinder paid version, Twitter needs to go by kind. That's right. By which I mean the website next door that trades under the symbol kind. Next door is run by the fabulous Sarah Fryer, but this thing had the misfortune to come public via a SPAC deal, and those are the kiss of death. It's currently valued at just $2.6 billion. By the way, that's much less than I think it would have been worth had it done a traditional IPO. The stock's been cut in half. I think Twitter could easily scoop this thing up for $4 billion next week. What would next door bring? How about greater direct advertising technology and infrastructure for localized small business, perhaps the most vibrant 
group of advertisers in the country. The synergies between putting an ad in a particular zip code for Nextdoor and one for Twitter are insanely fabulous. Any advertiser with brains, like someone who runs a restaurant, will want to be in both, where you can advertise specials and get reviewed and be talked about for very little money. What a deal. Again, because there will be real names on Twitter Plus, you get real reviews, no slam jobs, and the posters go wild. I know that Twitter wants to be the home for big national ad buys. That's fine. They will grow them under my two-track plan. But where have the national ads alone gotten them so far? With the paid site, they could turn into a one-stop shop for small business advertisers. That's the whole point of targeting advertising. Uh, targeted advertising would be it would be the number one place to target advertise. And Nextdoor is there for the taking. Once they make that acquisition, Twitter can partner with DoorDash to get local merchants to offer special deals to their local customers. Maybe so up the delivery business, too. And yes, if Ned Siegel, my love is CFO, he can go pit DoorDash against Uber to get a better deal. That's fine. He'll do that terrifically. Next, I think Twitter should create a rewards program. You bring people into the site, you should get rewards points that are redeemable with the advertisers, at least on the new paid version with real names, emails, and phone numbers. If you bring in enough people, say you get to 10,000 followers, you should get someone who works with you to help grow your followers organically, like private wealth management for social media. When you get to 100,000 followers, how about a concierge? When you get to a half a million, they should offer you the services of a team. Call it an institutional desk like they would have at a brokerage. They can help you sell your NFTs, I'm sure you'll have them, or anything else you want through Twitter in exchange for a cut of the profits. All of these should also be available as paid services to anyone on the site. Think of the rewards programming as advertising for this new service revenue stream. Now, how about the real hidden gems? First, Twitter can create a virtual heat map of anything via Tableau of Salesforce, so any company can immediately offer product to engage Twitter followers. Companies can use artificial intelligence to monitor all postings and make instant decisions about what may be wanted or needed right then. Clothes, music, accessories, entertainment, travel, foods, tickets, you name it. Twitter can sell it. Added advantage, if this works and the stock keeps going down, then Salesforce can just buy them. Failed to do that a few years ago. And now let's talk about something incredibly valuable. Maybe what I'd say is valuable is the company itself. And that's been neglected. The direct messaging feature. Right now, if you're overseas, say, and you, this is just one example, and you want to use your credit card, you have to call, say, Chase Manhattan Bank, right? But they don't know where you are, and they don't know who you are, and they keep you on hold for ages, even if you think you're a big shot. By using GPS and direct messaging, they would know exactly where you are, and you wouldn't have to make that ridiculous vacation-ruining phone call. Every bank would pay a fortune for that privilege. It's a secure way to know if your client who wants to transact where he is, where she is. Look, I want to save Twitter before it implodes in a garbage heap of outrage and scatological chicanery. I want it to be the place to flesh out ideas and create discourse that's civil and fun and learned or boisterous and adventurous and exciting, kind of like what it was when my daughter showed me how to tweet. And we look for nice cat pictures. It was over a decade ago. Not pictures of, be- of beheaded cats uh, with my head on a stake, which is right now par for a course for today's Twitter. The bottom line, I think my changes would help Twitter turn around uh, it, it, rather quickly, frankly, preventing it from drowning in a toxic sludge of nastiness like the Gowanus. But even if the new CEO doesn't want to pl- uh, go with my plan, he needs to do something huge to turn this around. Otherwise, I bet the company can't stay independent in its current form. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, it's the mother of all tech checks. Kramer's got all you need to know on some of Silicon Valley's most sought-after earnings. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This has been a horrific week for tech stocks, especially for the ethereal ones. They're tough to understand and trade on sales, not earnings. Now, I keep telling you that with the Fed getting ready to tighten, we're in a new world with a new set of winners and losers. It's the exact opposite of a year ago. Not, not all tech names have become untouchable here. We've we got to talk about the ones that are working or that can work. Remember, it's not about tech versus non-tech. It's about companies with real earnings and real product versus companies with no earnings and huh, even in some cases, not a lot of sales. While most of the money losing cloud-based software stocks are now off limits, there are plenty of tech names that make real things and generate real profits. They can do just fine in a world where the Fed is no longer your friend. What you want here are boring, mature companies, the kind that are often derisively referred to as old tech. I say out with the new and in with the old. And I mentioned earlier at the top of the show about Dell, and I think Dell's going to have a very interesting uh, very interesting analyst day, but I'm going to talk about five old tech names in particular that we all can get our heads around. Uh, these could have tremendous years in 2022. They're your real companies, again, with real products and real earnings that perfectly fit the current moment. And those companies are Apple, Cisco, IBM, Microsoft, and Oracle. I know it's throwback night. Um, I should be wearing like a throwback tie, but this is exactly what I've been wearing for the last 17 years. All right, let's take them one by one. Apple should come as no surprise to anyone. You know my mantra, own Apple, don't trade it. Even with the stock th- stock's 34% run last year, of which I was behind it every single downturn, as you know, it's now pulled back 10 bucks from its highs earlier this week, thanks to the tech meltdown. Whenever you get a buying opportunity like this with Apple, you got to take it. Why? While Apple's only expected to deliver 2 to 3% earnings growth this year, they've got a history of trouncing the earnings estimates. I think they're about to benefit enormously from pent-up demand. Last year, Apple had all sorts of supply chain disruptions, but if you believe that your customers merely postponed their purchases, that should turn into a tailwind over the next couple of quarters, including in China, by the way. Plus, there's a rapidly growing service revenue stream. Apple has a massive installed base, a billion, and services now make up 19% of their total sales. That's going to grow significantly, and those are much higher margin than their hardware sales. Longer term, they're also expected to come out with a virtual reality headset, and for that, I think AI is going to be huge for them. Most importantly, though, Apple's more of a consumer products company than a tech hardware play. It is the best consumer products company in the world. Although it only has a modest dividend, and that's only because the stock's going up so much, it's got a monster buyback, biggest in the world. In the last five years, they've shrunk the share count by an amazing 23%, which helps grow the earnings per share by shrinking the denominator. Exactly what you want when the Fed starts, t- starts tightening. 
Someday, Apple will start breaking up the average lifetime value of its customers, the same way a consumer products company would. And then you'll see just how inexpensive the stock really is. And by the way, the ad that we've seen when watching the NFL about the watch saving lives, priceless. Look, that's, that's me and Lisa. I hope you can see it. I, that's my face. I change the face of it all the time. I love the watch. I, I really do. Um, this is tonight, by the way, I'm like Mr. Sincerity. I mean, what the hell is going on here? Second, old tech fave is Cisco, not SYY kind, you bunch of jokers. Although it ran up more than 40% last year, the fifth best performer in the Dow. Isn't that a shocker? Cisco's stock remains fairly cheap. It sells for 18 times this year's earnings estimates. It's got a solid 2.4% yield, easily backed by the cash flow. The bull case for this one is really pretty simple. Cisco's had a couple of ugly quarters in a row, but the stock took off in late November, not long after the most recent earnings report. See, those last two quarters weren't bad because of demand. We're actually seeing a surge in enterprise tech spending. The problem was the supply chain crisis. And they're pretty good at the supply chain, by the way. As CEO Chuck Robbins told us, the product orders were up 33% despite tough year-over-year comparisons. At the same time, Cisco's pivot toward more software has put up a large base of recurring revenue, which I really, really like. And that could one day get to 50%, believe me. And eventually, I think that means the stock will start to get a higher price earnings multiple. Remember, Wall Street always willing to pay more for consistent earnings than lumpy earnings. Recurring revenue from software subscriptions is as sticky as it gets. I hope some of these uh, acquisitions that Chuck makes, he can explain more because I'm not really able to see how much they're making for the company, for shareholders. My trust owns the stock. Robin says things should start turning in the second half of Cisco's fiscal year, which starts February. I'm inclined to believe him because he's a real straight shooter, although he's a Falcon fan. Third old favorite, IBM. This one's a little complicated because they just spun off their legacy managed infrastructure services business as Kindrel. Talk about a cheap stock in November. Now, uh, and the last quarter had a revenue shortfall. It was ugly. CEO Arvind Krishna has said they're going to change the way they compensate their salespeople in order to give software sales a boost. But for now, IBM is strictly a show-me story. When the company reports again in a couple weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if if it wasn't a good-looking quarter and the stock sells off. That might be the opportunity. However, I still like IBM for two simple reasons. It's incredibly cheap, selling for 12 times earnings. And even after the Kindrel spinoff, they've kept their pre-breakup dividend, which means the stock's got a 4.9% yield. When this market was in love with growth at all costs, IBM was never going to get much love. But now, profitability is back in style in the Wall Street fashion show. Plus, IBM has done a lot to move into cloud services and artificial intelligence blockchain. Let's watch this one. Most important, Arvind Krishna is on a mission to unlock value at any cost. And that's why he spun off the aging Kindrel business. It's why he's trying to sell the Watson Health Unit. And I wouldn't be surprised, boy, no sacred cows here, if he comes up with more asset sales or acquisitions to drag IBM into the future. Again, let's wait to see the quarter before we take action, though. Fourth, let's not forget Microsoft. This one ran up about 51% last year, but thanks to the sell-off in recent weeks, you're getting a very nice buying opportunity here. The stock's down uh, 10% from its late November highs. That usually doesn't happen. Microsoft is exactly the kind of tangible tech story that should work when the Fed starts hitting the brakes to stop the economy. This is a 2.35% trillion dollar company that put up 17.5% revenue growth last year. And that's not supposed to decelerate much in 2022. Microsoft's been selling off because Wall Street treats it as it's a pure growth name, which is insane because it is an earnings story. The latest quarter was a thing of beauty. The company's got tremendous pricing power because you need Microsoft Office to do your job. I think Brady, by the way, actually likes Microsoft Office. You know, he has to use it. I think he actually likes it. Uh, Get Brady next. We get the goat on Okay, Um, their their Azure cloud business is growing like crazy. And I'd argue LinkedIn is the most underappreciated social network out there. 
What else can I say? Microsoft has beaten the earnings estimates for 20 quarters straight. Thank you, Amy Hood, you unbelievable CFO. We didn't have time to check back further than five years. For the last four quarters, they've averaged nearly a 14% upside surprise. This is a fabulous earnings story. So when you see this stock getting dumped along with pure revenue growth names, well, you got you to pounce. Finally, and very controversially, there's Oracle. After years of middling performance, this enterprise software colossus had a true breakout in 2021. But even after that run, it remains cheap, selling for just 18 times earnings. Now, the bookcase for Oracle goes like this. When the company reported a month ago, they knocked it out of the park with a monster earnings beat and great guidance, along with a cloud division that's absolutely on fire, even though no one gives it any credit. Their old-fashioned database business is also doing a lot better than you might expect. And that's why the stock rallied more than 15% in response. But then a few days later, Oracle announced a big acquisition. They're buying a company called Cerner, that's an electronic health records company, and that erased the stock's entire gain because Wall Street doesn't seem to be too thrilled with the deal. I think Wall Street's wrong. While Oracle's paying a 35% premium for Cerner, they've already got a good, uh, big healthcare software business. I think they could use this deal to roll up the entire fragmented electronic health record space around the world. They're up against a privately held player, Epic, which I'm sure is none too thrilled to be challenged by Larry Ellison and Safra Katz, two of the most competitive people on Earth. I know I urged Apple to buy Cerner to take on Epic. Oracle, with the undermanaged Cerner, will be terrific, too. Again, this is another one where the recent pullbacks letting you in at an amazing price. The bottom line, with the market turning against new tech, it's time to circle the wagons around old tech stocks with real earnings and reasonable valuations. That's why I've singled out Apple, Cisco, IBM, after the quarter, please, Microsoft, and then the much, really, uh, much bedraggled right now, Oracle, which is maybe the best bet of all. Take your pick. Let's go to Matthew in South Carolina. Matthew. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Matthew. What's up? Uh, my question is about Ring Central. Uh, you said uh, I've been listening all week, and you said look for the value stocks that actually have a service or product. And uh, this one had a 23 value to earnings on November 22nd when it was at $230 a share. Now it's trading at 173. Yeah, but but that's because it's not making money. Now, I, I do want to point out, and this is really important for everybody, but people say, well, Jim, you flip-flop. Now you insist that they make money. No, I always say that when the Fed starts tightening, you have to go after different stocks. You may hate the fact that that's the case, that, it, that I flip, but I just use the playbook that I've learned since 1979, which says when they start tightening, you've got to flip. And so I did. I pivoted. And am I sorry that I did it? No, because the game is about making money. It's not about being consistent. It's about making money. It's time to circle the wagons around old tech with real earnings and reasonable valuations. I want you to be thinking about Apple, Cisco, IBM, Microsoft, and Oracle. Now, there's much more bad money, including my exclusive with Lisa Gill. Uh, that's ahead of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. I'm surveying the space of one of the top healthcare analysts on the street, if not the top. Then inflation has hit a host of goods and services. But what can a bottle of motor oil tell us about Fed policy and what, and what it can do to stop raising, pr- rising prices and inflation? I'm going to give you my take. You're going to like it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
Every January, we look forward to attending the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, one of the most important events of the year for the industry. But for the second straight year, they're running a virtual conference coming up next week. We tend to get some huge announcements at this thing. I've, I, we've been on hand to see them. So tonight I want to get you, give me a preview, please. This is so important. With the fabulous Lisa Gill, Managing Director J.P. Morgan, and their Chief Analyst for Healthcare Services, Managed Care, and Facilities, which is where the action is right now. Ms. Gill, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. I really love that you have me every time before our healthcare conference. And once again, you made a note that this is virtual. I'm so sad we're not seeing you. Each other in person. I agree. I feel the same. It, and one of the things I want people to understand is if you want to try to get a beat on what's going to happen in 2022, mm-hmm. it's this conference. So maybe virtually you can give us some of the big themes you see that you're going to, that will come out of the conference next week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we saw a little bit of a preview of the conference from Humana yesterday where um, they came out and they, they pre-announced their Medicare Advantage numbers and they were lower than what we were expecting. And, and so Medicare Advantage has been a great product for the managed care companies. And so I think we're going to look for the other companies to make comments around what we're seeing. And is this a Humana problem or is this an industry problem? You know, some of the other themes uh, that we're looking towards are things like value-based care. You and I over the years have talked a lot about consumerism in healthcare. Um, you know, one of our favorite names over the last few years has been CVS. We're super excited to hear what they have to say. You mentioned M&A at the beginning of the conversation. They've talked about doing something on the physician side. Will they buy, you know, a group of physicians? Will they employ physicians? How do we think about that? Um, and really, how do we think about healthcare, generally speaking, around Omicron as well as other variants? And how do we think about COVID? COVID is still there, unfortunately, as we're sitting here virtually. So we'll be looking to hear from the companies around what that means to utilization. Well, I just want to circle back on CVS for a second. I would talk to you when the stock was in the mid-50s. There wasn't a soul who liked it other than you. Everyone <laughs> told me this thing was just was going to the 30s. You said you got to double down. Mm-hmm. How did you see that? And can, after it has doubled, stay with it? I think you can. I mean, again, uh, if you think about the premier company and healthcare services is really United Healthcare, and that company trades at over 20 times. We're looking at CBS that trades about 12 and a half times. Mm. I'm not even arguing for a United multiple, but you know, somewhere in between, a 14 multiple uh, is going to give you another 20% upside from here. So, yeah. um, you know, when I think about CBS, the other thing that's really changed over the years since you and I have talked about it: one, the Aetna transaction back in 2018, and two, um, I know that you. Are are also a fan of Karen Lynch and the fact that, you know, Karen's done a great job with, with this business. And, and I really think that there's a lot of opportunity ahead for them. Yeah, she's fabulous. Now, uh, a few years ago, you invited me. I was actually three years ago. Uh, I was walking around and a guy stopped me. And this is what's so great about this conference. And he said, look, uh, and he had an accent. It's hard for me to understand. The he said, look, you know, I, uh, I really want to go with the show. You got to like mic me up. We got to do it. And uh, I said, all right. And he was talking about this revolutionary vaccine thing he had going. And it was it was Bansell. And this guy was at 17. And he was just looking to be interviewed. Right, who is the next Moderna at the conference? Well, I mean, I, I think that that's a great question. Um, you know, when we think about healthcare services and we think about these new emerging businesses that, that are coming to the market for physician enablement, um, you know, you think about little companies that maybe many of your investors have not heard about, like Agilon or Privia. Uh, and, you know, those, those are companies that, that I think over the next several years are really in the position to bend the cost curve as we think about value-based care. I don't know, you know, if, if we'll have another pandemic type of environment. That's really 
really what's helped companies like Moderva. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Privia and Agilent. Uh, there's a couple. Of them. There's literally five companies. They're all at their low, Lisa. How yeah. do you get hurt buying these companies that are at their low that you like? I mean, it seems like that an investor out here who's watching should just open the book on one of these. I, 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 you buy a six, seven dollar stock mm-hmm. that's a real company. Yeah. Yeah, they are real companies. And, and what I would say, you, you really buy a market basket of them. And as we talked about earlier around M&A, you could see eventually some of these companies being bought by some of the larger companies. But that's not really part of the investment thesis. I think that the real opportunity here is the fact that we have this aging population. 10,000 people turn 65 each and every day in the United States between now and 2030. Uh, and we have to figure out a way to control costs. And a way to control costs is to make the primary care physician the quarterback of healthcare. And that's really what these companies are doing. They're taking the risk. They're making sure that you're doing things from a wellness perspective rather than to wait till you're sick. Right, and well, so that's why we really like those types of companies. Right, well, next question. Will this be the last one you think that we'll be talking about COVID in the current form? Are your people, I, whom you're so tied in, are people <laughs> seeing it blow through the country and are actually at a certain point thinking it might it might end. I think that's what we're all hoping for. Um, you know, talking to my biotech and pharma analysts, that that's what their thought is: is that you know, Omicron almost eats up the other variants, and it, it is a milder uh, virus. And the fact that it is milder means that perhaps we're getting towards the end of this. But you know, going back to Moderna, um, you know, their CEO recently talked about the fact that he thought we would need another booster come next fall. So the way I think about this is that. Potentially, we get to the point where we're getting our flu shot and we're getting our COVID shot, and maybe someday it's all one single shot. But um, I'm hopeful that that's the direction we're going in. Well, I'm going to leave it at that because that's a terrific way to go out. Again, congratulations on the conference you put together. I know how hard you work. I hope one day again that we'll be able to go out there and bump into the band cells and make fortunes for people. That's Lisa Gill, JP Morgan, Managing Director and Senior Equity Analyst. Have a great conference. Great. Thank you so much, Jim. Of course. Bad Bunny's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time the lightning round. Let's start with Kevin in Pennsylvania. Kevin! Hey, Jim, thanks for another terrific show. Jim, oh, the regional you, bank, WSFS, WSFS, the share price is up. No, I like that. I like that. Recently. It's a good bank in a good area. I actually, I, let's try to get them on. I admire them actually for about 30 years. Let's go to Abigail in California. Abigail. Hi, Jim. This is Jim from California. My daughter, Abigail, has a question for you. Hi, Jim. I was wondering if CVS is a good long-term stock to put my money into. I'm going to say yes, when aided uh, by the uh, fabulous Lisa Gill, who's told me at 50 to buy it and says, don't find it, it's at 100, buy it again. Thank you for that call. Jerry and Mo in Missouri. Jack, Jerry. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I've been a member of your investment club and been following you for well over 15 years. Thanks for all of your Thank advice. you, buddy. That is fabulous. Thank you. You were bullish on this stock back in May, so I bought some. It went way up, but I didn't ring the register, and now I'm just barely breaking even. And now we have some bad news from China about this stock. Have I held my Roblox stock too long? Yes, no, no, no. Roblox is the kind of stock that I'm willing to plow through this period. 
because it is such an original, terrific way to play the metaverse. One more. How about Damien in Florida? Damien. How you doing, Jim? Love the show. I watch oh, it all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, ticker symbol P-A-Y, Paymentus. Um, I know it's, it's payment technology. Those stocks are under so much pressure, but it does make money. Let me give it more scrutiny and come back to you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, how is a demand for oil impacting the price of goods you care about most? Kramer focuses on the Fed next. Jim Kramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. It's so terrible that people who work for a living can make more money because there's more demand for labor. Call me crazy, but I think the answer is absolutely not. That's why I was actually thrilled, not fearful, when I saw in this morning's monthly labor report that the average worker got a 4.7% raise year over year, especially when the CEOs of most publicly traded companies make more in a week than many of these employees make in a year, some in a lifetime. Of course, we do have an inflation problem. It's hard to find things that haven't gone up enough. Uh, haven't gone up yeah, even more than wages, frankly, but well exceeding wages in many cases uh, because producers have to raise prices. How bad is the inflation situation? Let me put it in per- perspective that I think we can all understand and realize the conundrum that the country is facing. Take a look at, at this bottle of motor oil. Now, if you want to keep your car on the road, you have to change the oil. This is a quart of uh, Pennzoil motor oil. It's made by Royal Dutch, okay, and it costs $4.25 in 2017. It's now $4.50, okay? That's all it's going up, right? It's going up 25 cents over a period of five years. But consider what's happened here. In 2017, oil traded at $50 a barrel. Now it's at $80, in large part because the big American oil companies have gotten disciplined. They've cut back on production, started returning money to shareholders via buybacks and dividends. Why their stocks are so good rather than just drilling like crazy. Meanwhile, they're spending fortunes to make their products cleaner in order to appease shareholders who suddenly care about the environment. And the federal government has reduced the amount of land open for exploration. Don't even get me started on the difficulty of building new pipelines, which means higher transportation costs. Oil's gotten much more expensive in every part of the food chain. 25 cents. That's all it's going up. Now, this plastic container, right, which is made of high-density polyethylene, has gone up substantially. We talked about this last night. The price of the bottle itself is up almost 50% in one year because demand for this kind of plastic is overwhelmed supply. And we can't put up the new plants fast enough. Although pound for pound is still cheaper than that cereal bag we highlighted yesterday. Thank you, Frank Mitch from Fermium, for telling me that. At each level, the distribution process has gotten more expensive from exploration to production to pipe to the refiner to pipe again to the packager to truck to the gas station to the retailer. These kinds of jobs have far fewer takers than they used to. And the job market is booming so they can leave the oil food chain anytime they want for for greener pastures. Now, maybe you're wondering, wait a second, do you mean to tell me that all these costs have spiked yet Royal Dutch is only charging 25 cents more for a bottle of motor oil than it did in 2017? That's just nuts, right? I mean, they have to raise the price. They're getting killed on this stuff. But what can the Fed do about that? Can Jay Powell drill for oil or get pipeline permits? 
Can he change the exploration rules, convince oil companies to drill, build plastic plants, convince more people to drive trucks? No, he can only raise interest rates and stop buying bonds or even selling them. Unfortunately, that won't stop World Dutch from raising prices so it can make some money. The consumer can't just go buy an electric car to break the chain. I bet the 4.7% increase in wages won't equal the price increases that World Dutch should logically put through for this bottle of motor oil, given that practically all of its inputs have gone up dramatically since 2017. This, people, is a bargain. In fact, the only part of the supply and demand equation that's likely to be impacted by rate hikes would be a slowdown in wage increases or an increase in firings or maybe a decline in housing prices because of how much higher mortgage or auto borrowing rates could go. That's how higher rates stamp out inflation. Obviously, it's less than ideal. What is the solution? Sadly, I don't have one. The problem is that this quart of motor oil isn't expensive enough versus its indispensability. Now, you could say, Jim, that's just one part of the inflation chain. But last night I did cereal. Monday, I could do T-bones. Tuesday, I could do a deck in my house. Wednesday, I could do a sink. Thursday is a washing machine. Friday, an oven. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. For a whole list of reasons, there's just not much the Fed can do to stamp out this kind of inflation without stamping out a lot of good things. So that's probably what's going to happen. Jay's in a tough spot. He has to depress demand to the point where motor oil becomes too expensive for regular people. That's why I want him to go slowly. That's not right. I want wages to go up. I don't want the price of goods to go up with them. Maybe I'm paying loss. There's nothing I can do. My hope is that once we get through Omicron, that will get rid of many of the logistics bottlenecks and reduce the cost of transportation. But unfortunately, the price increases I see coming are anything but transit. And no matter how we end up dealing with the situation, it is going to hurt regular people, not the CEOs. That's a shame. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I will see you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.